Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... So welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast and videocast in this case. And I'm excited. I'm, of course, I'm Karen Rands, as you know from the intro. And uh, I'm excited to have uh, my guest, uh, Hal Martin, return to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast. Um, Hal and I have uh, talked now and then about stuff. He's educated me a great deal about uh, philosophies of angel investors that are in the business of angel investing and are very specific in the way that they chart their path to mitigate their risk, reduce their risk, and, and make, make money from this, being the capitalist of a compassionate capitalist. All right. And so just to give you a little bit of an intro on um, Hal, Hal, if you haven't watched or listened to our prior podcast, uh, he was one of the original founders of the Central Texas Angel Network, and there was a lot that I learned when I met with him back in Austin a couple of years ago about how the history and the origins of that came about. Then he started 10, which is the Texas Entrepreneur Network, which evolved into 10 Capital, which is where they work with entrepreneurs and investors, connecting them up and helping bring innovation market and do all the things that I talk about with Compassionate Capitalists you know, bring innovation market, create jobs and create wealth by helping Texas entrepreneurs succeed by getting best practices and access to capital. And then now he's also very active in the Baylor Angel uh, Angel Network and so that he also helped to set up. And so um, I'm excited to have him back on the show. Welcome, Paul. How are you doing today? We're doing great, Karen. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Sure thing. So one of the things that um, we're going to get into for, for those that are tuning in to listen is we're going to talk about this methodology that Paul has created that is really, it's, it, it's so common sense in some ways that you're like, why doesn't everybody do that? And there's all, there's, and, and part of the reason why I think it's really um, so valid. And part of, he and I were just chatting beforehand, what, a, a section that I'm including in my book, my next book, Scale, because it's, I found that as I was going back to angel investor networks, when I um, was promoting my book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, as a tool for uh, the you know, new investors into their network to, to use as a, as a primer roadmap for people to be able to invest. And I knew it was the situation with my own angel investor network, with the network of business angel investors, that out of a, of a portfolio that is any active at any given time that, um, that investors would have, there would be some, some number of them. And even if you look at what VCs say, right, the formula that I talk about in my first book, out of 10 companies, you're going to have three that completely fail. You lose all your money. You're going to have you're going to have two, one that hits it all the way throughout the roof that make up for the other three that are kind of like base hits. And then you're going to have this other three or four that are kind of in the middle that you don't know what they're going to do. They just sort of putter along. And um, the first time that uh, uh, Hall and I spoke about that, he gave me a term called payroll exits. And I'm going to let him get into explaining what that mm -hmm. is. And then 
and what what caused him running these different angel groups, being a part of starting these angel groups, to come up with his methodology that we're using that we're going to talk about today, which I think is three by three or something like that, right? So, Paul, tell us. If we're going to get into the difference between IRR and ROI because I think that's a big mistake that most early mm. and uh, novice investors make, and I know entrepreneurs make that difference when they're talking about what the potential return on investment. And I know I'm guilty of making that mistake. But let's first talk about this idea of, of you being in the role that you've been with these angel groups, how you got started with angel groups or being an angel investor, and how you discovered this plateau payroll exit segment. Sure. So I've been an angel investor for almost 20 years now. I worked for a company that went IPO in 1995 and started doing angel investing after that. Joined the local angel network in Austin at the time and put in I made an initial investment, not too much money, but uh, pretty much three years later, I lost all my money and started to realize this is harder than it looks. And then we didn't have an angel network in Austin for several years. In 2006, we did a restart, called it the Central Texas Angel Network, and I was the first director there for the first two years. And so I was with that group, and we got about 50 members recruited, got about $5 million invested in 20 deals, and we had a 40x return out of one of the deals. And then Baylor University came to me. They wanted an angel network out of the Alumni Association, so I helped put that together. So in investing personally and then through these groups and through the funds, I just had 20 years of exposure with the angel uh, world. And I've been through long-term angel network return presentations, the Band of Angels in Northern California, Tech Coast Angels in Southern California. And I, I noticed that it, that all of the, you know, CTAN, Baylor, uh, Band, and Tech Coast the returns are all the same. Yeah, out of 10 deals, one deal is a, a winner, 10X plus. One deal is a true loser, it went bankrupt. Two or three deals do okay, and the rest turn into lifestyle businesses. And in my own personal investing, what I discovered is I'm, I'm really, of course, everybody wants to be in the one X, one deal that goes 10X plus. That's what everybody's trying to be in and forget the rest. And I found that that was very hard to figure out. It's just very hard to pick the winner so early on. And then we talk about, well, invest in a fund and get diversification across all of it. And, and that's a good idea too. But then I found that, um, you know, what I found in investing in my own deals is that it, about three years in, it starts to become clear which, which way the, the startup is going to go. It's either continuing up on the venture track, they're raising more funding, they're growing bigger, they're hiring more people, or it's now going sideways for any of many reasons. A more competitive market, team didn't perform, product just doesn't work, or there's lots of reasons why it goes sideways. But, you know, and that, that was a challenge with lifestyle businesses that uh, would happen on our, our watch is it, they would leave the venture track and go on the payroll track. Because about three years in, they start to make the, the CEO starts to make a calculation. If I sell the business, I can get this much. If I keep the business and just raise my salary a little bit, I can get that much. And I remember investing in a deal in Austin back in the early 2000s and three years in, as, as predicted, the CEO comes to me and says, I think our people have worked hard. They should get market rate salaries. And I remember thinking, well, that, that sounds right. But then I thought, no, that sounds wrong. And I went back and forth and then, you know, sat down and thought about it and then came to conclude, oh, we're on the equity exit. We have equity and we only get paid out when 
they sell the business. And so the CEO is taking a below market rate salary. Investors are not taking revenue share, profit share, dividends to make the company as big as possible. When the CEO goes to above market rate salaries, they're no longer on that equity exit, they go to what we call the payroll exit. Now I'm just going to cash flow myself out and uh, the investors will get something, but we don't know what. And usually you do get something, but it's 10 years later and it's minimal. In that particular case, I got uh, 25% return on my money and it was 10 years later. And if you ever do an internal rate of return calculation on it, that's not very good. So yes, you can say it's positive exit, but uh, that's when I started to look and say, well, you know, if I get paid out in two years, it's one thing. If I get paid out in 10 years, it's a very different thing. Why is that? Well, yeah. we use two terms. We use return on investment and internal rate of return, IRR. And most people come in talking about return on investment. And that's simply the money you get back without respect to time. The internal rate of return is return on investment with respect to time. The faster you get paid back, the better the IRR. In that situation I just described, my IRR was 4%. And angel investors, for the most part, want to be around the 40, 45% IRR range. So step one is you need to know how to calculate it. And so if you go to the um, Excel, you can actually draw a column out uh, in Excel and set each row to be a year. And the first year, put in the money that you are going to invest. And the example on the screen is I, I put $50,000 in, and then three years later, I get $150,000 out. I can see I get an IRR of 44%. And then the return on investment is 3x, as you would guess. If I do that same equation, but I don't get paid out until year five instead of year three, then 3x in five years yields the same ROI, 3x is still the same. But look at the IRR, it's, it's uh, almost half what it was uh, because the, uh, the time element is coming into being. So as angel investors, we should really start calculating IRR and we really should start plugging these things into a spreadsheet to know is this a good deal or is this not a deal? And so that, that's how we got to ROI versus IRR and then what I found is that, is like I say, three years into these deals, I was noticing in most of the angel investments, it was going one direction or the other at that point. And it came to a place where I actually started to test entrepreneurs as to how much they were really committing to a venture track. I noticed a lot of deals coming into the room. They really didn't seem like a venture deal. There was no recurring revenue. There's no platform-based business. There's no technology enablement. There, there was no virality effects. There's no network effects. And, but it was, it was just a, a business that was there. And so I just started to ask these guys, okay, what's your exit strategy? And when you ask that question, you get the very high-level, hand-waving, vague statements about somebody big will buy us for a lot of money someday, <laughs> but we don't know who. Uh, and then I started to say, well, how do I test this? And so I came up with, uh, okay, I understand that. It looks like a great business. Would you give me 3X in three years? And at that point, you can't use the high-level hand-wavy thing anymore because we're talking about real numbers in the short term. And right. if the answer is, well, yeah, I can do that. I, I'm growing. I got a forecast. I got plans. I, I think I can make that work. Well, in my mind, that person's on the venture track. But half the time I would get the response back, oh, no, there's no way we'll ever be able to do that. And I would always wonder to myself, well, how is somebody on a venture track to a very, very high exit not able to cover 3x in three years? I'm not putting huge amounts of money. I'm putting some amount. Why are they not able to cover that? And it starts to come out, well, we, we really aren't 
going to have a big company out of this. We really aren't going to be on the venture track forever. And we really just don't want to commit. And so in my mind, that that's not a venture business. That's a small business. And nothing wrong with a small business. But a small business, they, you go to the SBA and you get a loan for it. And oh, by the way, there's a personal guarantee on that. And then it started to become clear why half the people were in the room that didn't seem like they belonged there because with angel investing, we don't put personal guarantees on the money. And in, in their mind, in some entrepreneurs' mind, this is free money. I just get yeah. money. I don't have to pay it back. Or if I sell and it's a great win, well, then you'll get paid back. Otherwise, uh, you won't get paid back. And so I started thinking, well, this is probably not a good deal because I noticed when I go to Angel Capital Association Summit meetings and a lot of angel groups, that many, many angel investors are not successful at this. And they come in with 300K checks, bang, 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 and now let's see how they do. And five years later, nothing's happening. They go away and they say, well, that didn't work. And so there's a lot of first time and one and done in the angel world and thought, well, that, that really shouldn't be. Because I, I, I felt many people had a passion for their community and wanted to help the startups. But if you're not getting a return back, you, you can't keep going on that. Right. Path. You have to give it up. And so I thought, well, that's why we're, we need to go and do something is so that these people can be successful and they can continue to grow their community as well as make some money for themselves. And so that's why I started coming up with, well, how do I solve this problem? And so, as I said before, if you look at it, you know, out of 10 deals, one is a home run, one goes under, but the, you know, but at the end of the day, nine of these businesses are up and running 10 years later. Wow. That means they're good businesses. They just weren't venture businesses and came to conclude that the answer is, well, it's not the team. It's not the passion. It's not the product. It's not the sector. It's, it's the deal structure We're, we're we're coming in with the wrong deal structure because we've given ourselves no options. We've given ourselves no out and we've given ourselves no milestones in this process is you write the check and you don't see anything until they exit the business and thought that may not be serving angel investors very well. Yeah. So you said a lot of great stuff with that. And it, um, it hit home so much because of things that I, I, you know, before we ever had our first conversation about this topic, I had included in based on my experience with all the investors I had talked to and running in an investor group myself, that same sort of um, emotional piece. They, they, I think that they've wanted this kind of a structure or strategy or, or revelation that you provided a lot of these investors and even the entrepreneurs, but they didn't really know how to go about, get out of the ruts that had been established with, you know, oh, you've got to, because you've got to have a big exit. You got to be a big company. You got to do all these things because it drives the valuation, right? They do market comps based on things that they think are, they other companies that are similar. I know I've advised companies that way. We tell them they got to go get friends and family because that they won't, they'll put a sugar daddy's, you know, excuse the expression, money at risk and angel investors money at risk because they do think it's free money. I just need an investor, right? But they won't go and work their own network because of fear of failing and, and fear of losing that person's money that they've got a connection with. And I would have investors always do a measure of whether this company believed in what they were saying because they put their own people's money at risk. And if they didn't put their own people's money at risk, that meant that they either didn't believe in enough of themselves that those people were going to make money 
or two, they had some characteristic of their of their personality or their work ethic that made the people that they know not want to put their money at risk. And so either way, it wouldn't touch it. And that was sort of like the the probably the the litmus test that a lot of investors would put on it in an angel group. But what you have come up with with your three by three is really a way to put it, define it, you know, and everybody's on a common page of, you know, what is the risk? And, and I think as an investment portfolio strategy for investors, just like I had an investor I interviewed not too long ago where they follow on with venture, the venture funds that are doing it. So that's, it's lower, um, you know, amount of shares for their money, but they know that there's that level of risk that's already getting that along with startups. So they do, they do a lot of different mixing of stages to, in order to mitigate their risk and, you know, the potential, but all of these things with some of these companies, these, I, I feel like almost so many people how should ha hear this and understand this because we would not have near the amount of unicorns that are falling flat on their face out there, even with the ones that do get big venture backed, if they had this idea of where, where, where does it go? How does it get an exit? Because you have almost, it's a topic for a different time, but almost a, a the complete opposite effect that you cannot have an adequate exit because the valuation gets too high when you get some of these unicorn, you know, placements done. So um, I want to, I want to let, give you an opportunity to talk about your three by three, but I, but there's something that you talk about that I think are really good when it comes, or maybe we could wrap up with this. I want to, I want to cover your, your angel investors want to make a little money, do a little good and have a little fun. So let's build upon the ROI conversation, the IRR conversation with your three by three, and then we'll wrap up with your, the three elements of, of having fun as an angel investor and making money while you do it. Okay. Great. Great. So like we said, IRR is really the metric we should be using and I have a spreadsheet and you can make one as well. If somebody needs one, I'll share mine where I drop in the columns of how much in, how much out based on the uh, term sheet. And, and then I, I can start to see what, what kind of return we think we're going to get from this. But I, I don't use the vague, fuzzy 10-year exit. I, I use a 3x and 3 exit. And so if what, what I came up with to solve this problem, if you're, you know, of payroll exits is to uh, say to myself, well, you know, I can't stop this person from going on the payroll exit. But I can structure this deal so I can follow him if he does. So if they decide after three years, they're going to do the payroll exit. My thought was that's fine. I'm, I'm joining you right there. I'll just exercise. I came up with a convertible note with a redemption right in it that at year three gives the investor at its sole discretion. That's key. Investor makes the decision on this. It gives the investor three X their investment. So 50 K in is 150 K out. And that's how you get to a 44% IR. And I, I noticed that in, I've been in several angel groups where we have the drive the exit um, uh, uh, initiatives or campaigns. We're going to drive exits. We're going to help our, our startups get to exits. And after doing two or three of those, it became very clear to me that if you haven't written anything into the contract about an exit, uh, it can be very hard to have that discussion. They're just busy with the day-to-day -day operations. 
they decided it's really, you know, a payroll exit, not an equity exit. And so the last thing they want to see is this business go away because they're working 10 hours a week and they're making good money. And why would we ever want to quit this? Well, what about us? And then if you ever try to negotiate a redemption right after the fact without writing it in, it is, it is almost impossible, if not completely impossible, because you're very far apart. What the investor is thinking is the return and what the startup thinks the return is are two very different things. So you have to write it in the contract up front. So my coaching to angel investors is to come up with your own term sheet. You want to use mine, that's fine, but come up with your own. And when people come to you, you start to put your term sheet on the table to qualify them. Are they really a venture deal? Are they really going to be on that track? And if they have no intention of really going to a venture exit, then we really shouldn't be using a venture level term sheet, which is equity only. We should be using something else. And the 3XM3 gives you the right to step out at year three if things are uh, not going well. And the way I explain it to the entrepreneur is, I'm going to do whatever you do. If you're working on the venture exit and it's growing well and you're continuing to raise money and continue on the venture path, I'm going on the venture path. If you decided that's not gonna happen anymore, you're going to do something else, well then I'll, I'll go on the payroll track with you. And I'm convinced that if they can pay themselves a salary out of it, they can, uh, they can pay me uh, something on my 3X. It may take a, you have to work out a payment plan with these things. And it's very hard to decide that up front. But if you have the right to take three extra money, they're usually at the table incentivized to keep you in the deal. And so they're trying to show a better face for the first three years than if you're not. We all have invested in startups where we put money in and then after we sign the check, that's the last investor report we ever get. We never hear from them anymore. Yeah. But when a 3X is coming up in three years, it is a different dynamic. You do get reports. People do follow up to keep you apprised because at some point they want to come back and convince you to stay in the deal. And that gives you a leverage point. Not that I want that, but I really, not that I want the reports as much as I really want to see the business succeed and they have to really want to stay on the venture track. And so that's how we got to 3X and 3 and it has a redemption right. And then there are clauses in there that says if you can't make the payments, well then we're, we're going to have consent rights over all cash disbursements, AKA salaries. I'll call you tomorrow and let you know what your new salary is going to be. And that usually people sit up very, very well at that point start paying attention because uh this is a this is a real thing now we have to deal with this which is what you want you want them to deal with it come together let's figure out what the payment plan if that's the path we're going down on this case without that it's almost impossible to get them to move on anything because they have their own world set up they have their own goals set up and we are a distant memory from having signed the check three five seven years ago whatever it was so that's how we came up with the three x and three yeah so um, along those same lines, you know, it's, it's funny because I've had companies come to us over time and it's like, it's a whole paradigm shift of what you've put out there with what you've come up with. And they would say, well, we're not going to take salaries until we can pay off the principal of our, our investors and, and we're going to pay them first. And I'm like, well, but how are you going to be 100% on your business if you can't take any kind of a salary? And if you're going to really do as big of a thing as you say you're going to do, then the investors want to go for the ride. They don't want to be taken out before you reach your, your goal or what you, what you believe you're going to do. 
and and your your program completely addresses that kind of a that kind of a concept but then part of it is if a, say a company brings in a million dollars so you got your 50 in there and they bring in a million dollars and they're because they, to, to me and this is where i guess the payment plan comes in it's like if they've got money to pay you three million to get 3x that money should be going into r d and new product development and and going to the next level of what it is and so i how do you reconcile that when you're looking at a company and how much or is it just some of the investors will participate in a three by three but not everybody will participate in a three by three well what well, is a fair question to ask the entrepreneur how much of that money do you want to take and if they take too much i do worry about that I'm raising $2 million on a seed company and I'm going to take it all in a 3X and 3. That means in three years, they are potentially liable for $6 million. That may be a little bit much. But what if we capped it at 500K or 750? And now we're going to take 3X and 3 money up to 500. And one thing I coach entrepreneurs is incentivize investors to be the lead on your deal by offering the first 500 of 3X yeah. and 3. The next 500, no, no 3X and 3. And right. Because investors want to be the last money in. If, not, if, if, if all else is equal, they, they want to not be first. But if there's an incentive to be first, well, now it starts to smooth out your round because now you have people running in, getting the 3X and 3. And then if there's only 500K left and there's other money in, well, it's probably going to be successful. Other investors might follow along. But you do have to ask that question, how much can you, because there are limits as to what business models can do. There's all limits what you can do in three years. I think a venture tra track company could do 500K for uh, a 3X and 3 and pay 1.5 out at uh, year three. But that, that, that was always the question. Are you really on the venture track? Or is your, and, right. and sometimes you go and look at their forecast and you'll see it built in. Oh, you can do a million dollars in and get $3 million out according to your forecast. They may, may, come, they may cut that forecast back once they realize they might be liable for it. If there's no cost to put it up there, people will put up a lot of different things, of course. But that's one thing to consider is how much do you take and is that a reasonable estimate for what they can do? Yes. Very good. So I think that's, that's perfect because that is always the hardest money to raise is that first money in. And as I advise a lot of entrepreneurs, it says, you know, a lot, whenever an investor says to you, well, it looks pretty good. Let me know when X has happened. Or, you know, I said, what they're doing is they don't want to be first money in. And they're waiting for you to come back with some validation or this or that or the other and other things so they can they don't believe that you have the ability to raise all the money because there's something that they think you're missing in your go-to-market your business strategy you're something that's gonna you're unrealistic about your capital needs you're unrealistic about you know something in there they like the innovation they may like you but there's something that's missing that makes this a golden deal so they want to be last money in because then a lot of the risk of your being able to get all the money you need to do what you say you're going to do has been minimized. And what you've just proposed, what you just talked about, is really a good solution for sweetening that deal. Sometimes people will do it where your first money in is going to have some kind of extra warrant or something like that. But I like this so much better as a idea for being an attractor, you know, putting, adding a little sugar to the deal for those um, investors that 
also may end up being ones that take some kind of advisory role as well because they best understand your business and are willing to take that risk that ride with you. That's right. That's right. And a lot of people look at angels as, as free money, as we said before. And I've had many angels come to me saying, I really want to fund my community. And I proposed this to them and found this was a potential solution as well, where you put in 100K, three years later, you get potentially 300K back. But what you can do is leave 100K in the business and take the other 200K out to put into two other companies. And while we define it, we talked about this as being a very binary choice, leave it in or take it out. What I'm finding as we do this is that there's an infinite number of choices. I've had people take out their principal and leave the rest in. I've had them take it, the money in their 3X and divide it half and half. Half will go in for equity, half will go in for debt. I've had people take out 50 for, uh, their principal for themselves, leave the initial investment in, and then take the other third out and give to another company to start their funding as well. And so you can start to create evergreen funds where you can invest in the, in the community. And that's, that's a, a thought point to have with the uh, company is to say, well, we're really not free money, we're community money, and this money belongs to the community, and that's why you want to send it back to us, because we're going to deploy it into more startups. And then you start to grow these funds over time to be evergreen and continuing to fund more companies, and you're signing up companies that can you know, actually get there, because you need the money to go into other companies as well. And, and then we get out of the mode of money getting caught into these companies because some of this comes from the venture capital where in the VC land, uh, if you're not that one deal that's 10x, they don't care about the rest. And that's because their fund economics require them to pay back that fund. Uh, the other difference I found is if in the, in the startup, they're getting paid by salary and the VC is getting paid by their management fee on their fund. You raise a $100 million fund, 2% management fee means that 80 million goes into the companies and 20 million goes to pay the management fee. So they're, they're, they're taken care of. But in angels, who, who's, where, where's the fee for the angel? Where's, right. Who's taking care of the angel in this case? Well, they're, they're not. And that's why you have to start thinking a little bit about, well, we need to start finding our place in this world for getting paid back. and one third of that uh, 3X coming back could be there to pay the salary for the time you're putting in on these things. So it's not a labor of love, it's a real business and you can make a real go of it. So there's that angle on it as well. So that's why we come up with 3X and three is you have to start thinking what the role of the angel is. The other is the key with the angel and money is that you know most angels themselves individually don't have deep vast pockets of money compared to the VCs. But the, the thing that angels do have is the critical timing of the funding. After family and friends is over, but before venture capital and private equity will come in, there's a gap. And angel money, while it may not be in dollar terms as big as VC money, is just as important because you're filling that gap because VCs will not take that in most places. And the key yeah. is to capture the value of that money and realize our money is not going to be deep enough to keep up with pro ratas and follow on fundings and we'll go the distance of 10. We just don't have the, enough money for that. That's why 3X and 3 says my money is here for this gap period. And when the three years is up, I may potentially be pulling out. And at that point, you should be on VC money at that point. You should be off my money on somebody else's and start to change again the mindset that this is not just free money that lasts forever. This is a particular type of money that will last for a period of time. 
the, the other difference is some, some entrepreneurs will come back and they'll want to negotiate a, a, a different deal. Instead of 3X and 3, how about uh, 2X and 2? How about 1.5X and 2? And when I always run the numbers on that with the IRR, Internal Rate of Return Spreadsheet. And in most cases, what they're doing is they're cutting the rate, the internal rate of return by about 50%. It's about half of what it would have been in the other ways. And so I say to them, well, that sounds interesting. That sounds more like bank debt. Would you like to put a personal guarantee on this? <laughs> and at that point, we're back into angel land because personal guarantee is the last thing they are going to sign up for. Right, right. And we're going to go ahead and uh, start considering 3X and 3 because there is no personal guarantee on that. The company may have to pay it out, but they don't have to pay it out. So there is a nuance there that we need to make clear of that. Why don't we just take cheaper debt? Well, cheaper debt is really not cheaper. It's just structured differently when it comes from a bank. Absolutely. So, um, one question on that, that does this, or have you found like with these different, as I mentioned before, this, this 10, you know, 10, this 10 company kind of line item, I always tell folks and I, you know, nobody, the problem is that most, very few people can prevent, can predict which company is going to have the 10 X return. Otherwise they'd only invest in the companies that have a 10 X return. In reality, we always use this, this, thing of 10 companies and some are going to do this and some are going to do this. And then there's a space in the middle. So have you gone, have you found that you could use the same approach or different um, or a hybrid of it when somebody missed the VC capital for whatever reason, timing, stuff like that, they have another set of products they want to come out. They've got some more innovation that could bump the company up. Is this a way to for them to to attract capital to do the, the like the next wave of stuff? Even if it took them longer, it took them five years to to get to that point because they grew organically or you know at a certain. Does it work on that? Or does it really only work with that startup seed stage kind of a company? Oh, it can work with later stage companies as well. Uh, oftentimes, they're going after revenue based funding in that case. At some point, the equity value gets to be worth enough. They don't want to put too much out in it. And interestingly enough, the return on a 3X and 3 and the return on a typical revenue-based funding is almost identical. It's around 44% IRR. Oh, and sure. So, You're talking about like the, we call it royalty financing or revenue right. financing. royalty they're financing. Getting, they're getting uh, a percentage of the- Some people structure it that way. Yeah, they get a percentage of the revenue until a certain amount is paid back. Right. And, and so the, the value of a 3X and 3 is the all of the money is left in the business for the full three years. You have the full three years to use all of the money. Yeah. In revenue-based funding, you are compressing your margins. You're paying 2 3 5% out. And that, that can be very valuable money to grow the business along the way. Uh, it's safer because you get paid as you go, but it's harder to grow your business with revenue-based funding. But you could be a later stage company and take a 3X and 3 on there as well. And like I say, most people are starting to shift away from equity at some point because they, they don't want the dilution. You get over a million dollars, equity starts to become worth a lot and they start looking much more carefully at putting it out there. Uh, and so they start looking at debt options in particular. So it is, but it is possible to use it that way. Okay, great. So as we start to wrap up here, this has been really helpful. I'm hoping the folks that are listening in, they can get the links in the, in the uh, show notes, but also, you know, go visit uh, uh, Hall's website. It's uh, 10capital.group, T 
tncapital.group. Uh, you can receive his IRR spreadsheet. Uh, if you like, um, I guess uh, I'll let you give out your email address if you want to do that. Um, but I want you to also share, you know, the thing that I love and one of the things that I, re I value as having you as my friend and an investor that I collaborate with is this, this approach to what I think is, is the same thing as what compassionate capitalism is. And that's an angel investor wants to make a little money, do a little good and have a little fun. And you have 8,000 accredited investors and uh, a family offices, high net worth venture capital in your network. Talk about how your 10 capital network works and how you accomplish this, doing a little good, having a little fun and making a little money within your network. Great. Yeah. So I have investors come to me from time to time, mostly angels, and they've been through some groups and they've made some investments on their own and they're, they're, it's just not, not working for them. It's not, not being a return. They're not having fun with it. And, and so I came up with a program that was based on that old angel saying, which I heard 20 years ago, you know, angel investors wanted to have a little fun, make a little money and do a little good. And what I witnessed over the last 20 years is that the ones who were most successful were doing all three. They weren't doing one or the other. They were doing all three. And they were, in many cases, they were applying all three to every deal. And so have a little fun was really, do I like the people? Do I like the team? Do I like what they're doing? Can I see myself helping it from time to time in that case? So have a little fun was key. And then do a little good means that there's some community benefit or value to this business. So I feel like I'm helping make the world a better place at some level. And, and some deals are more in one and less than others and so forth. But all the elements are there. And the third was make a little money. And that's where the 3X and 3 comes in is you can structure it so you can get paid back. You can get a return and you can call this um, a real investment versus it was just all community give back. And I got nothing back out of it because people will do that for a while, but they won't do that forever. They just right. run out of the money. So that's why uh, all three elements make sense. And so we've actually written this up into a document, how to invest in a startup. And it goes through the process of telling you how you can determine if you'll have fun, if you determine if you can do a little good here. And also if you use the three X and three, how you can make money with it. And then it talks a little bit about diligence and some of the other elements you should have. There's five things you should have, including an investment thesis, a diligence process, a deal flow process, and your own term sheet. So those are the key things that you need to have in your, your arsenal as an angel investor. In our program, we're helping people do that. We're helping them find those five things. We're helping them get set up. And every angel investor needs to do this for themselves. You have a unique situation. And so you need to be figuring out your own investment thesis and your own diligence process. Here are the key things you must get done, but you can figure out how you want to do it. And then there must be you know, your own term sheet. Here's my term sheet, but you can take it to make your own. And then you're real, a real angel investor because you're out owning the process versus signing up for someone else's term sheet, signing up for someone else's care or give back. And so you need to start taking uh, you know, real ownership of this process in order to be a successful angel investor. Because I meet many investors who are not. I'd say out of 100 investors, 25 are successful and 75 are not. The 25, 10 are really successful and 15 are, well, we made a little bit of money and that was fun, but that was about it. And 75, yeah, I lost all my money and, uh, or most of my money. And uh, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. We're doing day trading now. You know, they're off to something else. 
Yo, okay, so that's why I wrote this book too, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, because I heard those same stories as well. And I always felt like, even when I first got started and I would first interview people and how did you learn how to be an investor? And they learned by losing money. And I thought that's a horrible way to learn how to be an angel investor. And, you know, so I took all of that knowledge. I didn't have your knowledge to include in this particular version, but I'm going to try to capsulate and we're going to come back and do something more together. We do these podcasts to convey it forward, but I want to encourage people because almost everything except for the three by three <laughs> approach I have in my book where I talk about deal flow, talk about due diligence, talk about an investment thesis, talk about your risk reward, what's your capacity to do because you got to have enough to have a portfolio, to build a portfolio, never one and done. You know, and so um, I do want to encourage people to visit KarenRands.co to get information and access to the book and the excerpts and the free this and that and everything else I have on there. And I uh, want to encourage you to go visit uh, uh, the Ten Capital website and um, and get the inf access to the information. Subscribe to your radio show. You you interview. Who all do you interview on your particular podcast? That's great. So yeah, looking forward to seeing you guys at InvestorConnect.org. InvestorConnect.org is our website for podcasts for 10 Capital. If you'd like to contact me for the IRR spreadsheet calculator, it's already set up. You can just drop your own in, copy one column to the next. It's uh, Hall Martin, H-A-L-L-M-A-R-T-I-N at 10Capital.group. So Hall Martin at 10Capital.group is my email. There's no .com on that. All the .coms are taken up years ago. So mm -hmm. looking forward to hearing from you guys and want to thank you for taking time to talk with us today. Thank you very much. Oh, it was really terrific to have you on again and look forward to uh, more that we will do in the future with each other. And thank you very much. And folks, stay tuned for my closing comments that'll come um, after this from our sponsors. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist Podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. In production for over 10 years, there are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. This podcast is brought to you by the Business Power Tools which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also, Lindio as a entrepreneur's resource portal providing access to dozens of lenders offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources, and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Cougarand Capital Holdings, 
It's a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit karenrands.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network and our sponsors and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break and learn more about how we can help you succeed.